A TV documentary on the only black Supreme Court justice was canceled. Want to know why? It's an amazing story, and that's next. Welcome to Culture Shift, The Barry Ferris Show. We are living in an American culture that has shifted from tolerant to cancel culture, from decent to rude, from optimistic to cynical, and from relatively safe to increasingly violent. But it's not too late. I hope to equip you with a historical framework applied to current events so you can lead and get America back on track for good. Hey, welcome back to The Barry Ferris Show, Culture Shift. Today, we look at how the life of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas rejects critical race theory. His powerful and interesting true story, his documentary in his own words, was canceled by Amazon Prime Video. You should watch the documentary. He's the most powerful black conservative in the world, arguably. And here's his story. Born in rural poverty in Pinpoint, Georgia, his father abandoned him. Raised by a single mom, she moved closer to her folks in Savannah, Georgia, and got a job as a maid. So young Clarence was moved from rural poverty, which he says was very livable, to urban poverty, which was just horrible. The toilets didn't work. Uh, sewer was all over the place. It, he was in one room with his brother and his mom. It was like third world conditions. But then he got this amazing break. His mom was having trouble after she got remarried, and um, she was having difficult with her difficulty with her maid job and taking care of the young boys. So his grandparents took Clarence and his younger brother into their modest three-bedroom house. This home was a mansion to Clarence. It's still there today. They would flush the toilet just for fun. It was such an anomaly to them, seven years old for Clarence. His granddad was a stern, no excuses, work hard, earn what you make, rugged individualist, and grandma was a saint. And that pair gave Clarence and his brother a home. To Clarence, his granddad was his dad. Clarence and his brother worked hard on their grandfather on their granddad's farm. They had a, he had a cinder block business and a fuel oil business, and they learned how to plant crops and fix machines and string fences. Clarence's brother went on to the Navy. Clarence went to an almost all-white seminary in Missouri, and he learned how to shed the Southern African Creole blend gula dialect along the way. He learned American normal English, as he calls it. But while in seminary, Thomas felt the Catholic Church was far too quiet in the midst of horrible discrimination against blacks that were all around him. And there was one idiotic statement made by one idiot fellow student that just crushed him. When Martin Luther King got shot, this knucklehead said it was a good thing. Clarence Thomas idolized Martin Luther King. He just couldn't believe someone in the Catholic Church would say such a horrible thing. So Clarence left seminary. He decided he couldn't be a priest. Clarence told his granddad that he quit. His granddad did not console him at all. He came from much worse circumstances himself, and he didn't permit any self-pity or to wallow in their victim circumstance. His granddad and his brother in the Navy at this time were in their own way. They had their own version of a rock-solid conservative ideology, while Clarence was becoming a flaming Marxist. He was filled with rage against whites, and both his brother and his granddad rejected Clarence for it. 
So Clarence went to Holy Cross College in Massachusetts. He got deeply involved in Black Panther and the most radical left-wing Marxist black organizations. He tells the story of um, one time when he joined in on a protest of Malcolm X followers in Boston. He was among the rioters, and he couldn't believe what he did and how much bitterness was in his heart. It was one thing to be upset about the discrimination he saw all around him and another to see himself becoming a thug. So he realized this wasn't him. He, he went back to a quiet place and he prayed. And it was the first time he had prayed in years. He asked God to forgive him for partaking in such acts and promised himself he would never hate anyone again. He made good grades. In fact, he graduated cum laude. And so he got into Yale Law School and he was accepted to Harvard as well. Many have claimed that he wouldn't have gotten in those schools if it weren't for affirmative action programs, but Thomas didn't like that opinion. He wanted to earn his place in life on his own merits, not just because he was black. Yet, he was conflicted. He was still an ardent Democrat and embraced leftist ideology. He graduated from Yale, but couldn't get a good job anywhere. He believes that was because people thought he got into Yale as an affirmative action candidate, not because he was capable even though he was quite capable. So a white Republican, John Danforth from Missouri, hired him as an assistant attorney general in Missouri. Now, Thomas was still a hardened liberal Democrat, but he liked Danforth, and it was the only job offer he got that he liked, so he took it. Danforth saw Thomas as a promising potential conservative, yet Thomas says the only thing he hated about Danforth and the job at the time was that Danforth was a Republican. Now, in this job, he focused on tax-related cases for the most part, but he also came across some serious crime. He thought since he was bent against the white man that he would have a really hard time when any case against a black man came to his desk. But the cases he handled smacked him with a reality that changed him. Thomas says that nearly nine out of the ten cases in Missouri at the time were black-on-black -black crime. There was no white involved. He describes one of the cases where a black man raped a black woman and then took her somewhere else and raped her again, so raped her twice, and then killed her and her precious little kid. It impacted him deeply. And he explains how the issue is fatherlessness, not the color of a person's skin. So he had felt that way himself. I mean, he had no father, and his only father was his granddad, and he was pretty stern. And he believes that though his granddad was stern, that that provided him structure that held him together. And as he puts it, the grandfather in his life was a dad who said, whining is just not permitted. In this job as assistant attorney general from 1974 to 1977, he did pretty well, but he didn't find that it paid that well. So he took a job with Monsanto, a chemical company, in their legal department. The job was solid, but it wasn't challenging. He was used to a lot more volume. He felt the golden handcuffs of good pay and benefits and a relatively easy schedule would suck him into a life of comfort and mediocrity. And he felt that Monsanto, or Monsanto, did not promote blacks fast enough at the time. So combining those two issues, by this time, white Republican Danforth of Missouri had moved up from attorney general to senator. And he brought Thomas over to his staff as a legislative assistant from 1979 to 1981. Clarence Thomas, who was a Marxist Democrat just a few years before, was now working for a white Republican senator to help write law that leaned conservative. 
Then Reagan got elected. Thomas explains why he was one of the many Democrats that voted for him. It was because he had become disillusioned with the Democrats' social experiment. And he was a young father when busing blacks and whites from one side of town to another by force deepened racial tensions and did not solve the problem. He wanted to be a good father and believed that the social experiments would be harmful to his son. He realized that there was a contradiction in him personally. How could he both want the government to socially engage in fixing the ills of society, and when push came to shove, everyone he knew who could avoid the government's social program would do so? On the one hand, he observed the power of Martin Luther King and his uplifting message. On the other hand, he watched the Catholic Church remain silent on the horror of discrimination. On the one hand, his life experience pointed to the pain of a fellow student's hurtful, dehumanizing declaration. And on the other, his life experience revealed that the left's ideology was just not true. He may have agreed that there was a racial problem, but he disagreed on how to fix it. He was becoming a different person. He accepted an invitation to connect with Stanford's conservative scholar, Thomas Sowell. More on him later. And not this broadcast, but another broadcast. We're going to talk about Thomas Sowell, and you'll love that. And he was invited by not only Thomas Sowell, but also George Mason's Walter Williams and others to explore the nation's founding documents. Clarence Thomas became convinced that all the bad things related to racial injustice were in violation of the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, and even the Constitution. Now, he argues that the 13th Amendment, which bans slavery, makes it real clear and explicit, or any form of indentured servitude, is consistent with the Declaration of Independence. So he's an originalist with the Declaration and with the Constitution insofar as its amendments comply with the Declaration. He became riveted on the phrase from the Declaration, created equal. The former black activist and follower of Malcolm X became an originalist, a person who interprets the Constitution as a conservative, as the founders understood it in 1789. Under Reagan, he was appointed head of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission in 1982. And again, he was in a bit of a little self-conflict. This is a typical job you'd give to an aspiring black conservative if you're Reagan. He wanted to earn something regardless of his skin color. On the other hand, he did this job at the EEOC quite well and performed the executive duties for a longer period than any other chairman of the EEOC. Yet regardless of his performance on the job, while serving under Reagan, he was hammered in the media and by Democrats as being an Uncle Tom. Imagine that. Just work hard, do well, and everybody criticizes you. Now, under the next president, President H.W. Bush, he was appointed as federal judge of the United States Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia. Now, he really enjoyed this job. He didn't think he would love being a judge, but he really did. The post is a potential stepping stone to the Supreme Court, but it enjoys comparative anonymity. His wife worked across the street. It was a time of relative peace. But only a year and a half later, that all changed. He was nominated to the Supreme Court. You know, only Democrats turn Supreme Court justice confirmation hearings into a political circus with unsubstantiated claims of misconduct. They did it recently with Kavanaugh's unproven and uncorroborated claims, but they first used this tactic with Clarence Thomas. The Judiciary Committee was led by now President Biden. He has a reputation for being too handsy and kind of creepy. And to his left was Ted Kennedy. His family, and himself personally, philandered so much, he literally killed a mistress. 
The left wanted to Bork Thomas. Now, this is a term used to torpedo a nomination. Robert Bork was intellectually head and shoulders above any other potential nominee at the time, and he had more legal creds than any other Supreme Court justice since Felix Frankfurter in 1939. You guys have all heard of him, right? But the liberal organized left ambushed Bork before the weak conservative right knew what happened to him. Bork would tilt the court conservative, they thought, and the liberals wouldn't have it. So his nomination got killed. When black conservative Clarence Thomas was nominated to the Supreme Court, the left had no interest in the fact that he was black. They disdained that his ideology would tilt the court right. So the left organized to Bork Thomas. Yeah, Borking became a verb. Now let's enter Anita Hill, a beautiful black lady. She was a past employee of Clarence Thomas. She accused Thomas of sexual misconduct after his divorce and while she was an employee of his. According to her, he made comments of sexual nature while he was in this powerful position of being her boss. The FBI interviewed Anita Hill and then separately interviewed Clarence Thomas, and they concluded that there was no corroboration to Anita's claim. So you'd think that would be the end of it. Vote and see if he becomes Supreme Court Justice. Yet her interview with the FBI was leaked to the media. That's kind of illegal. But the Senate reopened the confirmation hearings, and for the first time in history, a Supreme Court nominee was uh, filled with the testimony on lurid sexual details and claims. As Anita's testimony was cross-examined, though, it appeared she started adding details to her original account, and she was kind of losing credibility. She couldn't answer why she would follow Thomas from one employment to another if he was such a bad person. In fact, why would you follow him from one place to the next, even after you are no longer employed by him? Others, who could have potentially corroborated her story, would not testify at all. Yet Thomas asked another employee on a date while he was single, and she said no. And in her written statement, she said that she never felt sexually harassed, just asked out on a date by her boss was awkward. Another gal, Nancy Altman, shared an office with Thomas at the Department of Education. She said that she heard just about everything Thomas said over a two-year period. She never heard a sexist or offensive comment. She didn't think it was possible for Thomas to do what Anita alleged without dozens of other women he worked with noticing it. Who knows? Maybe Clarence did say certain things while he was lonely and single that made Anita feel uncomfortable. But even if he did, would the immorality-promoting left care one bit if this was a liberal nominee? Clarence Thomas categorically denied the allegations and said, as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, this is a high-tech lynching. If you don't line up with the leftist ideology or kowtow to an old order, this is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the U.S. Senate rather than hung from a tree. So Biden kind of didn't know what to do. He looked over to Ted Kennedy and Ted didn't know what to do. Nobody said anything. So the hearings concluded and Thomas narrowly became Supreme Court justice. He is now the longest serving justice on the court. He has written more opinions than any other justice. He's considered the most conservative and the most loyal to originalist jurisprudence. He's also been subject to the most cruel ongoing treatment of any justice. The media hates him and constantly insulted him, especially in the early days, and continues to do so. But for the first two decades, it was way beyond disrespectful. He was vilified. Now, you don't have to agree with Clarence Thomas, 
and his conservative ideology to know that he's been mistreated. So I've got a question for you. What is Amazon Prime so afraid of? Why don't they just allow the documentary of the 30-year justice of the Supreme Court to be shown and let people decide for themselves? I mean, you can buy a DVD, but why did Amazon Prime cancel his documentary, Created Equal? And there's a lot of pressure on Amazon Prime Video right now to quit censoring this, but as of this production, they canceled it. So if you watch the documentary on alternative, and there are alternative media that have it, you'll find a genuine man who experienced extraordinary difficulty growing up severely poor and very acquainted with grief. You'll also find a man who was a bitter Marxist. You'll find a man who found God and became one of the most powerful, influential conservatives in the world, and arguably the most influential black conservative in the world. But for some reason, big tech, big media, big entertainment doesn't like it when a black man succeeds, unless he's a devout liberal. So back to the current issue of critical race theory. Clarence Thomas, now 72, has lived a life that contradicts everything critical race theory promulgates. Critical race theory is the notion that all whites are oppressors and all blacks are victims. The proponents want all your kids to have this teaching incorporated into a twisted revision of U.S. history and civics. The teaching has been around for decades, but this is the first time a presidential administration has outlined how they want those materials taught among all K-12 educators. You've seen that moms and dads are waking up and they have started to see how bad it is, and you've seen how several states are outlawing the curriculum. But we've got a long way to go. And let me give you an example of how entrenched the theory already is. It can be found at the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which you pay for with your tax dollars at the Smithsonian Institute. The display is all about whiteness. The museum suggests that valuing things such as the nuclear family and a strong work ethic and thrift are manifestations of a white culture. And those things are oppressive. Critical race theory sees racial oppression everywhere in society. And what if you're one of those scholars who disagree? You're to be labeled a proponent of the alleged oppression itself. Now, in his book, Anti-Racist Baby, the leading CRT proponent by a guy by the name of Kendi, uses rhymed verses to explain to preschoolers how they can purge their inherent whiteness, and how their parents can help raise future anti-racist activists. His teachings instruct children to actively hate each other. Kendi wants more than that, though. He wants an anti-racism department with federal government subpoena power. And he wants the unelected department to have veto power over every municipal, state, and federal law in the country. And he wants that body to have veto power over who stands for political office. The current administration wants to undo past discrimination by actively discriminating in favor of marginalized groups today and with direct federal grants to public schools that teach Kendi's critical race theory. According to critical race theory, human history, not just American history, is a struggle between white oppressors and black victims. When it comes to comparing this to Marxism, Kendi just swaps the Marxist bourgeois with white. And CRT blames all the institutions that emerged in majority white societies as racist and white supremacist. So what's their proposed solution? Similar to Marxism, CRT advocates for destruction 
All the Judeo-Christian Western justice system, the free market systems, and churches need to be torn down. That's why the protests from 2020 so easily erupted into the destruction of private property and the tearing down of historical monuments. But the USA did not invent slavery, nor was it founded on it. It fought a civil war to end it. It declared in its founding that all men are created equal. It declared that the right to life is for everyone. Like the first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln, said, it took time for the government to catch up to the aspirational declaration that everyone's created equal. But that doesn't mean created with equal talents or gifts. It simply means that God created everyone in his image and that this right comes from God. So government should never interfere with it and should grant everyone equal treatment under the law. Now let's look again at the life of Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas came to a life crossroad after his granddad died. He was crushed when his grandma died shortly after. Though his grandfather was intense and he was not affectionate, he had taken him in as an impoverished boy and gave him the value of self-respect and deep-seated Christian values. Clarence Thomas was not perfect. He confesses to a drinking problem and to other waywardness issues up until this 30-something tragedy when his granddad died. And he'd also been recently divorced. He was working crazy hours as the chairman of the EEOC. He might have ruled inconsistently on some issues like hiring quotas for minorities. He might have even been a little too harsh in some cases, settling petty scores. Yet he became a consistent champion of his granddad's life message of self-reliance. While at the EEOC, he regularly conveyed his concern about the welfare mentality and how in the end that was not good for anyone, especially blacks. Clarence had his share of personal hurts. His, his family did not come to his graduation at Yale years before. His achievements since Yale were often ridiculed through a racial lens. The media was always against him. At the time of his personal crisis, he was a successful black running a federal department, the EEOC, with nearly 2,000 employees, and he was constantly chastised for it. Less successful blacks were applauded for much less impressive work. What was the difference? The blacks who were applauded by the media and the Democrats were all leftists. The unjust treatment and all the personal hurts he had accumulated all flooded back to him in 1983 when his grandfather had died. And he was 35. So after the funeral and at the end of his rope emotionally, Clarence Thomas decided to quit drinking and get control of his life, just like his granddad would want him to. And then he asked God for a purpose. And he was able to kind of meld together everything that his granddad communicated and what he believed. He believed he found it in his belief of what the two most important words of the founding of America are based on, created equal. Now, 37 years later, if you watch this self-proclaimed introvert in an interview, you'll find an affable, sometimes sad, he had a tough life, kindly, warm, and even talkative man. He defends his Supreme Court positions more than any other justice. When asked why he defends them so much, he says, I owe it to those who love the Constitution to know why I'm ruling a certain way. Regardless of what you think about this Supreme Court justice's personal strengths and weaknesses and his very conservative judicial philosophy, he's worthy of respect. Every person is worthy of respect. But certainly anyone who navigated past severe 
poverty and found a path to success and makes principled decisions is deserving of respect, regardless of color. But Amazon canceled him. And that's probably because the proponents of CRT hate him. And that's because critical race theory is un-American and has it all wrong. The better way is what I'll call, in honor of Justice Thomas, created equal theory. Created equal theory is straightforward. Government should view itself with humility. It should not impose its power without consent of the governed. And it should vigorously defend the right of every citizen, regardless of color, to enjoy life without undue in in interference. And government should defend the right of every citizen, regardless of their ideology, to relish liberty without fear. And government should get out of the way of every citizen, regardless of how they were born, and allow them to pursue their dreams happily without interruption. Critical race theory creates oppressors out of everyone born white and victims out of everyone born black. And that is a destructive lie. Created equal theory opens the door for anyone to have a rags-to-riches story like Thomas, regardless of color. It means equal value as a human, and it's the foundation of the great American idea. And thankfully, it's how the most powerful black conservative on earth sees it. God bless you to your success, and that depends on your freedom. Hi, I'm David Farah. Thank you for listening to my dad's podcast, The Barry Farah Show, Culture Shift. Click subscribe now to be sure you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your friends on social media and give The Barry Farah Show your five-star rating. Check out today's show notes below this episode and at theberryferrisshow.com. This podcast is also available in video format at The Barry Farah Show on YouTube. See you next time.